This is AmateurLogic.tv, episode 62 for January 15th, 2014. It's alive. This episode of AmateurLogic.tv is brought to you by Gigaparts.com, the amateur radio online superstore. AmateurLogic viewers, go to Gigaparts.com slash ALTV for specials on ICOM radios as well as Arduino and Raspberry Pi kits. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM, with New Year instant savings between now and March 31st of 2014. Welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 62. I'm George. And I'm Tom. And I'm Peter. And it's great to be back with you here the first month of 2014. Yeah, so Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New and Year. Happy New Year to everybody over in the U.S. and elsewhere around the world. Yeah, we, we had good holidays here, Tommy. You did too, didn't you? Yeah, I had a pretty good time. I, I had a good bit of time off work. I you was, did? Yeah, yeah, so I enjoyed that. I took a few days off myself. How about you, Peter? Well, uh, no, we just had a short break, a, a week off over Christmas, but uh, yeah, quiet, but I've been down the beach doing a bit of uh, coin shooting. Uh, a bit of what? Coin shooting. Coin uh, that's shooting, uh, that's destroying perfectly good money. Oh, y'all doubled. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Peter? <laughs> uh, I was uh, down the beach coin shooting, which is hunting around for coins using a metal detector. Okay. Uh, so you weren't actually shooting the coins out of some kind of weapon? No, no, no. They could get expensive. Or shooting at the coins. Uh, well, what are you going to show us this time around, Peter? Well, uh, I'm somewhat inspired by uh, Tommy's uh, camera segments from time to time, uh, I've decided to do a time-lapse photography uh, segment, uh, but using the Raspberry Pi. Oh, interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Cool. What are you going to have, Tommy? Well, you remember the little DHAP uh, yeah. digital ham access point? I went ahead and set it up and, and tried it out for the month, and uh, I'll show you kind of how that worked out. Okay, cool. I'm going to be back on that Raspberry Pi trying to get Echo Link running again. It's alive. Going to beat that Raspberry Pi into submission. I have going to make Raspberry Jam out of it. It's still making a little racket, but I'm going <laughs> to gag it, and we're going to go on with it. <laughs> well. Let's get on into the program here. Tommy, what's your uh, first email over there this week? Yeah, I've got one from uh, Bill, KN8DMK. And this is actually about the file server that I made. It says, Hi, Tommy. wanted to thank you for your efforts and instructions on doing this project. I started with my feet to the fire, so to speak, as I started with a new solid-state drive and the whole smear. I got it working fine, learned a lot along the way, even formatted and partitioned the drive on the Raspberry Pi. Might be a good extension to the project in the making, though, to make a print server out of it. And that, that's actually a great idea. But cool. uh, that's a great idea. I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, yeah, that, that does sound like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would uh, be very useful. Uh, yeah. 
Very useful. Peter, what's on your stack down there? Well, I've got an email here from Dennis uh, KK, I think it's Zero DJ in Iowa. And he asks, uh, my question is whether Aussie truckers are heard on the hand bands. And if so, is there a band or frequency where they congregate? Uh, I can see where road train truckers could pass the long days and nights with amateur radio. Well, I replied back to uh, to Dennis and I said, look, I didn't know about uh, uh, any uh, or much in the way of uh, truckers on the ra- on the uh, the radio. But I've since found a website. It's www.ozhamtruckies.net. And apparently uh, these guys, there's about 66 of them, have um, a net or several nets during the, the week on 3.6 megahertz. Hello everyone and Happy New Year. I recently saw a project on the Instructables website which uh, told you how to make a uh, time-lapse camera out of a Raspberry Pi computer using, of course, the Raspberry Pi camera. And the idea was you put it into a a can like this, a Milo tin, uh, with a little hole in it, and uh, you could take a whole series of photographs over a long period of time. The trouble was that I gathered the parts together, tried to follow the instructions, and uh, I found, first of all, that it was extremely complex, and B, at the end of the day, it just didn't work for me. Don't know why. Um, It probably would work, but uh, as I say, it was a fairly complex uh, project. So what I did was I sought some help on the Raspberry Pi forums, and after getting a little bit of help there and changing a few things, I've actually come up with a solution which is much, much simpler to to implement. So uh, let's get started. Let's have a look at the hardware and uh, what what you need to build your own time-lapse camera. I've got a Model B Raspberry Pi here, although you could use a, a Model A. Uh, the Model A would use less power, so your batteries would last longer, which is good. Now I've got the Raspberry Pi camera here. I don't know if you've seen it before, but uh, it's relatively inexpensive and it's sold wherever Raspberry Pis are sold. Make sure the blue tag is facing away from the HDMI connector. Pull up the plastic top. Slide in ribbon cable and then press down either side and there you go it's locked in place you're also going to need uh, an SDHC card now I'm actually using a micro SD card right here 16 gigabytes and you can get these little converters on the uh, on the internet uh, relatively cheaply and it'll just slide in there and the beauty of that is that uh, it's flush with the end of the Raspberry Pi, so it's less likely that anything will actually get broken off. Now, I've installed a a fresh install of Raspbian on on that little micro SD card, and what I'll do is I'll show you in a moment um, how you can actually uh, boot that up and uh, get the camera uh, installed from a, a software perspective. Over here, uh, I've got a little power bank. Uh, This is Uh, again available off the internet and uh, you can use these for uh, charging um, uh, mobile phones and the like so I think this is about 5000 milliamps and uh, what happens is you plug uh, your little converter here um, which comes with the power bank and that uh, plugs into the USB socket and then I forget whether this is micro or mini uh, USB, but in any event, it will actually plug in here like so, 
and provide power to the Pi. I've now booted up my Raspberry Pi. I've got a wireless keyboard connected, uh, a, the internet through an Ethernet cable, uh, a monitor through a HDMI cable, and of course the power. Having booted up your Pi, you'll be uh, greeted with this particular screen. First thing I want to do is hit enter to expand the file system. Then next thing I'll do is enable the camera. So go down to option 5, enable support for Raspberry Pi camera. Yes, uh, I'm going to overclock this, so go down to uh, option 7. I'm going to put it at 950 megahertz. Hit enter. Would I like to reboot now? Yes. Now I'm at the uh, command prompt. So first thing I want to do is change directory cd space slash home slash pi. I'm now in the slash home slash pi directory. Now what I'm going to do is fetch a, uh, a file from the amateurlogic.tv uh, server. So I'll go sudo wget space http colon forward slash forward slash www.amateurlogic.tv forward slash downloads forward slash and note the capitalization on this R-A-S-P-I then a capital uh, L-A-P-S-E capital C-A-M dot P-Y so the L and the C are capitalized hit enter and the file has been uh, fetched going to make that executable so we go sudo chmod 755 and then type the name of the file again, noting the capitalization. R-A-S-P-I, capital L-A-P-S-E, capital C-A-M dot P-Y, raspbylapscam.py. Excellent. We now move on to change the directory to uh, slash etc slash init dot D. Next, we do a, a similar wget, download a file called timelapse lowercase. Now don't worry all this information will be in the show notes so it'll be quite easy to uh, to find. Uh, the file has been fetched. Again sudo uh, chmod755 uh, timelapse and that's made executable as well. Now I've uh, simply got to make this uh, program run at boot so we go sudo update hyphen or minus sign um, rc.d space time lapse space defaults and you might get a, a warning notice there but now it's uh, all set and uh, will run now before um, uh, before going to uh, to run the program I'm just going to change back to the slash home slash pi so change directory slash home slash pi and i'm going to open up an editing program uh, sudo nano by the way sudo is uh, means super user uh, if you prefix any command with sudo in linux it gives you administrator privileges so uh, sudo nano i'm going to run nano uh, which is an editing program and i'm going to look at raspbylapscam.py and if you scroll down, just use your arrow keys in this, 
there's a line in here, time.sleep60. This means that it will take a uh, photograph once every 60 seconds. If you want to change that, uh, feel free to. Just uh, change it to, say, 30 seconds or 60 or 120 or whatever suits you. Uh, and then control X and uh, follow the prompts to save the file. So I'll just control X out of that because I'm not changing it. Now, so this is all now ready to go. I'm now going to demonstrate the hardware. First up, I'll plug in some power. And what you should see happen is the Raspberry Pi will start to boot up. Now, I should warn you in advance that at the end of the day, you're going to need a dual boot system, that is a system that has both Linux uh, and uh, Windows, in order to access the images that are actually taken. That's because Windows can't access a Linux file structure. So uh, my system uh, here uh, has both Windows and Kubuntu, and all I need to do is go into the file manager in Kubuntu, and then I can look at the uh, micro SD card and uh, actually uh, pull out or will transfer the images across to Windows where I can edit them. Now, what will happen is that after you've, uh, you've booted up, you'll be prompted for a name of a file. This is a little addition that I've actually put into the software myself. And uh, the name of the file is actually the name of the directory uh, into which these images will be stored. Uh, I, the reason I did that was uh, I was having problems with the same directory name being given every time you booted the uh, uh, the software so uh, that was causing errors so let's call this uh, Wednesday Wednesday good hit enter and immediately the camera module lights up and as you can see it's taking a photograph and it'll continue to do that every 60 seconds uh, so what you do is you leave it for a couple of hours and then you'll have a whole sequence of images in a directory uh, which is uh, off the root directory uh, in Linux. I'm now going to show you how to combine a series of images into a movie using a program called Photolapse. Now, I took a series of images looking across my carport over a period of about two and a half hours. Once you've started Photolapse, photo select the directory in which you've stored the images, in this case, C colon nightfall. Click Load Files from Current Folder, then specify the frames per second in this case i've specified 15 then click on uh, before you click on create movie in fact you can deselect or select which of the images you want to use in the finished product then click on create movie give it a name uh, i'll call it street select the uh, the subdirectory into which it's going to go in this case nightfall and click on save specify the video compression codec i'm using full frames uncompressed and click on ok and it will start to create the movie using the images that you've uh, uh, you've provided to it so we're almost there up to 120 130 40 50 165 and it'll straight away start up uh, the movie that you've created now what i'll do is i'll make this full screen and you're seeing two and a half hours compressed down into a matter of a few seconds. And you can see the 
the subtle changes to the hues and colours and also shadows uh, over a long period of time. Quite impressive. So now you can actually go and make your uh, uh, your own movies uh, using the images that you uh, get from your Raspberry Pi time-lapse camera. Well, Peter, that looked like a lot of fun. Oh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it's great. Uh, I really want to take it down the beach and get some time-lapse photography of the tides moving in and out and the waves, etc. Yeah. You know, Peter, I've got one of those cameras myself, and I haven't even hooked it up yet. It's still sitting in the box over there. Mm. Lots, of, lots of fun, and uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, lots of more interesting projects to make with it. I'm sure there will be. Oh, yeah. What would you do with that, Tommy? The, co- the camera? Yeah, not the coins. Not the corn. How about the corn? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, as much as I'm into photography, I didn't order the camera module for mine. But that, watching Peter's segment there, it kind of makes me want to play around with it. Yeah. Let's make well, I reckon it would. I reckon it would make a good car security camera. So you have some <clears> kind of automated system where if somebody tries to break into your car, it actually takes a photograph and stores it somewhere and perhaps even transmits it back over a mobile phone. Uh, to a central database. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of possibilities. Well, before we get on any further in the show, let's uh, have a message right now from Gigaparts and see what's going on over there. The ICOM IC7200 is the perfect combination of advanced digital features and ease of use. Out of the box, the IC7200's digital filters give you the ability to change filter shape and width without having to buy additional filters. Only ICOM has digital twin passband tuning with dedicated control knobs to easily shift and narrow the IF passband until the interference is gone and you can clearly hear that weak signal. The IC7200 is ruggedly built and compact, perfect for portable operations in the field and also ideal for occupying minimal space in your shack. Only a USB cable is required to connect the IC7200 to a PC instead of a bunch of messy interface cables. Get yours with a unique paint job. IC7200s are now available in Multicam, Digital Camo, Olive Drab, Safety Orange, and even Pink. Only from Gigaparts. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll-free at 866-535-4442, and our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability and free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on Live Chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. Now through March 31st of 2014, you can get an extra $100 off the cost of an IC7200 from Gigaparts when you use ICOM's New Year Instant Savings. Yeah, I really like the digital camo pattern they've got on those. That, that is pretty neat, you know, and I heard they're going to be releasing some more camo patterns uh, later this month. Oh, that's cool. I'd like to see what they come out with. Yeah. 
And Amateur Logic viewers, go to gigaparts.com slash ALTV, and you can get some special deals on ICOM radios, on Arduinos, and the Raspberry Pi kit. So let's get on back into the emails now, and I've got one here from Will KT5W, and he says, Hi, George, I've got a question about the Behringer 802 mixers. He said he hadn't used it in a while, and he pulled it out and he hooked up several radios to it and a computer sound card. But he quickly noticed that the right channel is full of uh, static and crackling, and it cut in and out on him. And he started troubleshooting, hadn't been able to come up with a solution. And uh, he says he's, he's sure it's in the mixer itself because nothing else does it otherwise. And he wants to know, could it be a bad power supply? Have I ever heard of this happening before? Or, you know, a lot of times in, in mixers like this, and in a lot of gear these days, the connectors that are on the outside of the gear where you plug in your microphones or whatever, instead of having wires connecting to those running down to the PC board, those are soldered straight to the board in a lot of cases these days. I told him to go in there and uh, and try re-soldering each of those, that it could be, you know, one of those solder trenches broke loose there, which mm-hmm. I've seen happen quite a bit. And uh, he said, all I can say is brilliant. I took it apart and resoldered uh, several components, and he did some of the chips, too. And he said he learned that by watching me build the soft rock over on Ham Nation. He says, now the mixer works perfectly, and the satisfaction of being able to fix something yourself is incredible. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Way to go, Isn't man. it, man? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it really is. Um, so don't, well, I would say don't be afraid. Take your time, but don't be too afraid. You, yeah, and take, you don't know. do like me and do it like without your reading glasses on. I uh, had a little, problem. oh, a little problem. Yeah, I caused myself a little problem with one of my HF radios. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it it happens. It happens. Well, Peter, what's <clears throat> on your stack down there? Yeah, I've got one more email here, and this is from Steve KT five XS slash seven. I don't know. What does the slash seven mean in the U.S., uh, George, Tommy? Any idea what that means? Uh, slash seven? I think maybe yeah. that means he's in seven land. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway, um, he says, so it's actually addressed to you, George, but he says, uh, when Peter presented the shortwave listener QSL card for the JT65 QSO, you mentioned you were not aware of shortwave listener call signs. Please see the link below for more info. And it's given us a link here, which I'm sure George will put up uh, at shortwaveling or swling.com slash blog slash tag slash popular hyphen communications. A few months back on the show, we used our Raspberry Pi and our DVAP and we hooked it up to some battery power, made an image and made a portable DVAP. I call it a DVAP Pi. And uh, it's very popular and uh, I love mine. I use it all the time. Well, there's a company called Harden Power Systems that actually kind of won up to me on it, and uh, they built a pretty nice ruggedized unit here. It's got a battery in it that comes with a charger. They they routed all of the ports of the Raspberry Pi out to the front. It's, there's the USB. We got HDMI, the uh, analog video, the audio out. When you turn it on, there's a a voltage display that gives you an idea how much battery you've got left in it. The Raspberry Pi and everything mounts all inside. The DVAP mounts in there nice and neat. And the antenna, the little stubby antenna that comes with it folds over and it's got a nice slot for it. So it's nice and secure. They also routed the antenna out 
and there's a small SMA adapter right here on the back that you can plug a different rubber duck up to it. They've routed the ethernet port out and everything. One of the nice things about it is the jack that you charge the thing with back here is a standard size jack. It's an M size connector radio shack. I believe it's 5.5 uh, by 2.1 millimeter. And it actually supplies 12 volts out as well. So you can use one of the portable monitors like I've got right there if you want to hook a monitor up to it and, and view that portable because those run off of 12 volts. So that's a pretty nice feature. I just got mine. So let's open it up and take a look and, and let's set it up together. On the back, there's some arrows that tell you how to open it up. But they're pointing up to these two screws. And if you loosen those up about a half of an inch, it'll just kind of slide off of the rest of the unit. So let's give it a try. And there's the top. We'll just set it to the side. This is what we've got on the inside so far. We've got the battery pack. It's secured in the slot for the DVAP to fit along with the groove for the stubby antenna. The USB power is routed right here so we can plug it right in. There's a nice little piece of foam. It's pretty, pretty sturdy foam that you push in and it sort of wedges the DVAP into the unit here so it's pretty secure. Now below we've got the cords that are routed out for the sound and for the video out, the analog video out. You actually have access to these under here as well and to, to open that up if you look at the back again there's one screw that's a Phillips head and then there's one of these T uh, Torx screws right here so if we back this Phillips head out about a half of an inch this whole unit will swivel up and we can see what's on the inside so let's do that so there's our regular Raspberry Pi what we would expect to see it's one of the newer models the B model there's our HDMI cable that's routed out to the front as well. Our SD card with our image on it. The, there's a little voltage regulator right there. I believe that's to step it down to 5 volts. In, inside here, tucked in, is the SMA cable that's routed to the back. And you can, you can run this up through the top, through the hole right here, and screw that up to, the, to your DVAP, and that gives you the access to the antenna on the outside of the unit. Personally, I'm a, I like mine self-contained. I think I'm just going to leave it in here and use it for a while and see how I like that. But uh, I, I would encourage you to be cautious and tuck that back in there out of the way so it's not touching anything metallic. I tucked it in right up underneath the short HDMI cable that's run through there to keep it secure. Well, let's put it back together and let's boot the thing up. We're going to hook it up to the TV I've got over here so you can see what's going on and we'll configure it for use. Put my call sign in it and I'm going to need to set it up for my Wi-Fi and uh, all that good stuff. When you put it back together, it's nice and snug. If you'll see right here, it doesn't look like it. it there's a little bit of resistance, but if you notice, it's just the cables in there that are, that are kind of tight. And if you just kind of ease it down on the corner, it, it fits right there perfectly. Let's put the DVAP in it. So I'll unplug my DVAP from my DVAP pie that I made. And you'll see it fits right in the slot right there. The antenna needs to point down. Plug it up to the USB. When you put it in, just kind of wedge it in where the foam is push it down and then 
push the back down and everything tucks in there nice and neat. Now let's hook up our peripherals that we need to set it up. We're going to need the keyboard to type in our information because we're not set up to SSH to it yet. So we got to hook up our keyboard dongle. <clears throat> and I've got the Wi-Fi dongle already in here. While you see two USB ports on the front, don't be mistaken about this one over here, the one that's labeled USB power. That's exactly what it is. That's a place that you can plug up your uh, charging cable to, to charge your iPhone or, or whatever you need to do with that that's within the range of uh, power that it can supply. There's no USB hub in here, so this is our only USB port. So I'm going to have to pull out the Wi-Fi dongle. I just so happen to have a little portable USB hub, and we'll use that. Okay, now we're good to go. And there's our HDMI right there. Everything's hooked up. We should be good to go. And the first thing that comes up is our DVAP tool. We'll put in our call sign, N5ZNO. And that's all good. So I'm going to set this up to work with my home Wi-Fi. To do that, you go over here to the side, and there's an icon labeled Wi-Fi Config. So let's double-click it. And if I go over here to Manage Networks and Scan, I see my N5ZNO Wi-Fi access point here. And there it is. So let's enter my web key. And I'm going to remove the Verizon one that was in here by default. To test it, let's just try to ping something. Ping.google.com. And I've got a response coming back. So we're good. Let's close out of this with exit. Let's close out of the Wi-Fi config. And let's make sure we're on the right frequency. I use 146.50 here because I have a little bit of interference on 5.5. If we open the port, we should be good to go. When you run portable and take this away from home and that dialog comes up, that's okay. It, it doesn't interfere with anything. There's really no way to clear it without a keyboard hooked up to it. Let's try to connect to one of the reflectors. We'll try... Uh, one Charlie. Remote system linked. And let's go ahead and clear that just so you can see. And you can see we are connected to One Charlie. The unit comes set up uh, apparently to connect to an open access point if it finds it. I haven't tried using it like that, but there are really not too many of those around anymore, I don't think. So you're going to need to do something about being able to see. When I take this on a trip, I'll probably get my little carry bag. I'll probably throw the keyboard in it, this little USB hub, and my little monitor that I've got up here. I bought some connectors to build a power cable for my monitor to hook up to the back of my DHAP. It's a great unit. I'm really excited to take it out and play with it for a while, and I'll come back to you here shortly after I've used it a little bit and finish off this video and tell you what I thought about it. Well, I've used my DHAP here for about a month, and I've kind of grown really accustomed to carrying it around. It goes with me all over the place. Well, here you can see a few of the places that it's been. A few of the things I like the best about it are I like the voltage readout on the front. It shows me how many volts are left in my battery. One note, once this thing gets to about 10.5 volts, it starts to fall off pretty fast, which is a characteristic of the nickel metal hydride batteries that are in it. So you get a good constant rate 
for your electronics and then once it gets near the end of the charge life on it it'll go on to die off pretty fast so once you get to about 10 you probably ought to charge it or switch over to some external power as far as external power goes i've got a male to male usb cable that i use with this other external battery that i got and uh, i can plug it up to the usb port on the front that says usb power and you don't have to turn the switch on as soon as you plug it in and turn the battery on it'll actually power the device itself you can also use a wall wart with it a two amp wall wart or whatever you want but it's been real flexible i like it actually better than the one i built myself the custom case is uh, leaps and bounds better than the the case that i had mine in I like because we've got access to all the ports and everything. So anyway, check them out. I think you'll like it. I, I really love mine. I carry it with me a lot. So I'll continue to do so. 73. I guess I'm going to have to end up with a, a DVAP or a dongle or something. Yeah, you need to get one, man. It's a lot of fun. It is. I, I love it. I use mine literally pretty much every day. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we go any further... Let's see what MFJ is talking about, and I think that there's a new catalog out there. The new MFJ 2014 ham catalog is here, and it's featuring over 25 new innovative products, like this user-friendly 1 to 60 megahertz color graphics VNA analyzer, or an RF design box with a wide range of patchable L and C combinations. There's also the new MFJ white noise generator and a variable resistor capacitor substitution box plus a variable resistor substitution box. For the QRPer, there's a travel station with everything you need to get on the air quickly. There's two new full-color wireless weather stations. For those new Chinese handhelds, there's an SMA female to SO239 flex cable. The mass mount duplexer will save coax and reduce losses. The vice grip antenna mount gives you quick anywhere placement. MFJ's hard mount coax with SMA melt lets you quickly connect your handheld to external antennas. A new Mini 3H24 stainless steel trunk lip mount has a tough rubber cushion to protect your automobile from scratches. Tripod anchor foot braces hold your antenna tripod extra sturdy. The TPC-150 rig output power control is for transceivers without power output controls to drive an amplifier or tune an antenna. Ameritron's new splitter combiner allows you to combine the output power of two amplifiers together. The transceiver front end protector protects your receiver's front end from high RF levels. Highgain and Cushcraft have new three-point guy wire kits. Highgain has new heavy-duty 6-foot 16-gauge galvanized steel mounting pipes. Pipe-to-pipe mass mount kits are heavy-duty extruded aluminum clamp assemblies to support large Yaggies without drilling. The ARI 500 lets your rig auto-band switch your solid-state Ameritron amplifier. There's four-pack nickel-metal hydride rechargeable batteries for the popular MFJ225 analyzer and new cigarette lighter plugs with Anderson power poles and more. Get your copy of the 2014 Ham Radio Catalog by visiting mfjenterprises.com today and we'll be seeing mfj here in just uh, two or three more weeks won't we yeah but yeah with the jackson ham fest i'll be yeah. going straight and get one of those new catalogs yeah me too there, there's a number of things in there and i think they may be going to pass us off a thing or two to look at and in a future show here some of these new items oh, cool that's always fun that that will be a lot of fun well you know tommy you and uh, peter both had some raspberry pie stuff this month and well i got some raspberry pie stuff too we we didn't really plan to make this the Raspberry Pi show. Uh, it just kind of happened because we didn't really uh, coordinate very well. well. We love pie. We love pie. But 
I, I melted a little solder in this one, too. Okay. Last month, I got the Linkbox software running on a Raspberry Pi to use as an Echolink server. And it worked, but I had some problems with it. Uh, like I say, the audio is not as good as it could be, and the GPIOs are not working yet. Now, if I can ever get an answer or a solution for that, I'm going to get back on this project. In the meantime, I'm going to stick with that Windows box a little longer. Well, I heard from some of you out there. Uh, one of them was Donald Glover, kc 9 ZMY, and Donald said that the problem with the GPI on the Raspberry Pi is that the GPI ports aren't accessible unless you set the permissions on them when you boot the Pi. Each time you boot the Pi, that's going to be wiped out. But he gave me the commands here to enter, and I did those at the command prompt, and then lo and behold, all of a sudden, the GPIO pin was working on the Raspberry Pi for the push to talk. But what I needed to do was to have the Raspberry Pi automatically boot up in this mode. Fortunately, I found some more information here on editing slash etc slash rc dot local file. What the script does is when the Raspberry Pi boots, the first thing that's going to execute is printing the IP address to your screen. Uh, then it's going to send those commands to give permissions to the GPIO ports and then it's going to automatically run the Linkbox software for us and exit. So that sounds like exactly what we need. I did that, and the machine boots right up now, and the GPIOs work. Now, the other problem I had was the audio stuttering. What I ended up doing is actually disconnecting the keyboard and the monitor and the mouse, everything from the Raspberry Pi except what absolutely had to be there. And I used the PuTTY terminal, which I have running right now, so that I could operate the Pi from my desktop computer. So, in my thought, the Pi is not using resources now for HDMI and uh, the keyboard and mouse, so maybe it'll give it a little more horsepower. And it seems to have worked. Uh, the audio is much better on it now. We've had four people on a conference at once, and it held up to that. I'm not certain that it's as good as the PC was previously, but it's acceptable now. And one other issue that I found after I got this far with it is that sometimes it does not decode the DTMF tones very well. Uh, it really depends on what radio uh, is broadcasting those tones, and I've noticed that as a problem with some other repeaters and things in the past. In order to get the voice announcements working on the link box, I found the files eventually. I downloaded them, and they had to be copied to a PCM folder under the working directory for the link box. In my installation, that directory was home slash pi slash tlb. So I located a PCM folder inside of there, and I placed all the audio files in there. The announcements are working now. It says connected and connected to... It just doesn't tell you who. For some reason, it's not announcing the call letters. Uh, they are actually in there in the folder. It's uh, got all the numbers and alphabets in there, but it's just not using them. I've been looking at the source code, but I'm not really so much of a C++ programmer, so I'm not able to follow everything like I wish I could. No more information on that yet, but if we get that working, I will let you know. One other problem I had was that when multiple people were connected, they weren't hearing each other. 
To fix that, I had to edit the tlb.conf file. I had to change the conference enable equals zero to a one. Getting back to the GPIO, I had that working now, so what is it going to take to connect that to a radio? Let's just take a look at uh, how best to do that, because these pins are 3.3 volts, not 5 volts. I have a little 5-volt read relay that I'm going to be using for this project, so I need a way to translate this 3.3 volts up to 5 volts to drive that relay, and also the current output on these GPIO pins is very limited, so we need a little more current as well. We can use a transistor to drive this relay. First we'll put the relay here, and we've got a diode reverse polarized here just to snub any spikes that come back when the relay collapses. Here are the contacts of the relay, and those are going to go on out to actually key a radio transmitter in this case, but anything that these contact ratings would handle could be used there. We're going to drive it with a 2N3904, which is an NPN transistor. We've got three pins we'll be connecting on the Raspberry Pi. First, we'll need to get 5 volts to run our relay, and then pin 11 is GPIO number 17. That is what we're going to toggle on and off in software when we want this relay to be made. And we've got pin 6 down here, which is a ground. So let's look at the other components we'll use. We've got a 10K ohm resistor here, and then we've got another diode here. This one's mostly for protection. The way this works is we'll get 3.3 volts on this pin whenever we want to key this relay. That'll be dropped down by the 10K ohm resistor here because we don't need all 3.3 volts. We just want to drive the base of this transistor right here into saturation so that it'll turn on this relay. 10K ohms seems to be a good value for that. So 3.3 volts here. The transistor conducts, the relay makes, and it keys our transmitter. Now I really didn't want to burn a PC board for this project, but I wanted to do something a little bit different this time. The first thing I did is printed out what my traces should look like on the board. Here's our three pins coming from the Raspberry Pi. Now my relay itself, as well as a diode that's connected across it here, those are already in a circuit I've got built. So basically all I need to do is supply voltage to the relay right there. So that's where I've got to push to talk relay here. Here's where our transistor goes. This is the production diode. And here's the 10K ohm resistor. So simple enough. Let's try it using a piece of perf board here that just has copper pads on it. None of them are connected to each other. I don't know really why they made this kind. Um, I like the type that has several of them tied together so you can wire up your circuits real quick. But we're going to use this this week because I'm going to try something I've never done before. And this is a circuit writer pin made by Keg Laboratories. I got it at Radio Shack for about 23 bucks. It's got silver ink in it that's conductive. And basically what we're going to do is draw on our PC board here the traces that we want. And then let it dry. And we can solder it, but we're going to have to be real careful on that. Now, I could have just taken a plain piece of board here without any copper on it. But my thinking was that the ink coming out of here 
may not bond good enough to hold a component in if you actually were pushing on the component. It could break away. So I'll use these little copper pads here for that purpose, and we'll just connect them together in the configuration that we need. Now the first thing we'll want to do is clean this PC board really good before we even try putting any of the ink on there. Now I've washed the PC board and dried it. Let's take a little bit of denatured alcohol and just give it a little cleaning with that. This is just to get the, any grease off of there. We want the paint to really be able to get right down on the copper here and do a good job. Now the little circuit rider pen currently doesn't have any of the silver ink on the tip here. What we have to do is shake up this thing good. There's a little ball in there, like in a can of spray paint. We need to get that loose and shake it up for a while. Now it should be shaking good, but let's keep in mind here that this tip is very fragile and we're only supposed to use minimal pressure with it. Otherwise, it's going to bend and not going to last very long. Also, that will melt, so don't use this on hot surfaces. It looks like the trick here is that you've got to push down on the tip just slightly as you're squeezing it. So let's get started here. I'm going to skip the first hole here and go to the second one. I'm finding that controlling the flow is a little bit more difficult than I was hoping. This would probably be a lot easier if there were not holes in the board. And you can see now I've gotten kind of sloppy with it and I'm spilling over to adjacent pads. That's well, really not going to matter because there's nothing connected to them here. This looks a little crude, but roughly here's what I have. The bottom trace here is ground. Our GPIO is this one right here, and it comes on over this far. And then we have a resistor. And then we resume with the trace that goes all the way to the base of the transistor. The emitter is down here. The collector is up here at the top. If we follow back that base, where the lines get a little bit closer together right here, my plan is that's where this diode will go. Follow it on out here. And, of course, there's our resistor. And at the top, here's where our plus 5 will connect. It'll come on over to a couple of pads here separated by one that's not connected. This is what will go to our relay. And there I've labeled it now with a Sharpie. It's recommended that you cure this six inches away with a 40-watt light bulb. And you do that for four hours. Then let sit overnight. Okay, we're back and we've let this cure under the 60-watt light bulb for a few hours and then let it sit overnight, and now we're ready to continue on and build this circuit. Now, you'll see that this didn't turn out quite as well as I'd hoped. Uh, having the holes here on the PC board made this very difficult to get traces through, and they're really fatter than they probably need to be. You can see a few places here where I actually had to take an X-Acto knife and do a little trimming around to keep things from shorting out. 
That was easy enough to do. And you can also use something like acetone to remove this if you need to. Here's our circuit now. Our transistor will fit over here on the right-hand side. The emitter is this bottom hole here. There's the base and the collector. And then we've got the resistor and the diode. And then the wires that hook this into the Raspberry Pi and the relay. Now, the circuit rider instructions mention that this is only good for really low temperature stuff, and they say a 350 degrees soldering iron. And we can see we're somewhere around the uh, 350 degree mark. I'll start by mostly putting the heat on the component leads here to make sure we get our component leads tinned. I probably could have done that before we began. And we're not supposed to keep the soldering iron on there over a few seconds, so this is pretty particular. I think that one actually soldered, though, so let's do the rest. Now, based on what I've seen so far using this stuff, it's not going to be my first choice for doing circuits. Although it's pretty neat and uh, might work a little better if I was using it differently. Not the best-looking circuit board I've ever done, but maybe it'll work. Let's try a little resistance check here on this longest trace and just see what the resistance is there. Hmm. 153 ohms? That's not too good, is it? 115? 86? 60, 16, and they're that close together, and we're 13.7 ohms. That's not good. So I think this might work for some stuff, but I'm going to be pulling a little bit of current here, not a lot. We'll just try it and see. I built me another little Raspberry Pi case, very similar to the one that I did earlier, just using a 4x4 electrical box. This is the old Model B of the Raspberry Pi. There were no mounting holes on it, so I've just hot glued it in here. If it ever goes bad, well, I'll just have to throw it out. But I cut some holes around here where I could get out all the connectors. And I've got a little DB9 here because the interface I'm using to go over to key the radio already has a relay in it that plugs into the serial port of a Windows computer. So I'll just use that same cable to plug into here. And we've got another slot cut out here. And that's for our USB audio dongle. Just this little $4 audio device that uh, I hot glued right there. This all fits together. And uh, it's it's the complete Echolink package. You really don't need anything else with this. Well, of course, a radio. Now I've got a couple of wires here that'll go to the DB9. And then I've got three coming from the GPIO port here on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, the red here is my 5-volt supply. The white is a GPIO 17, which I believe was pin 11. And then the black, of course, is ground. Now, here's our completed circuit. It's kind of ugly, but it should do the trick. I think if I was going to do this again, I would stay away from this conductive ink. I don't like that resistance that it's got. I would rather it be a lot closer to zero ohms. Now, since hot glue was my preferred method of mounting everything in here, 
I took a standoff and hot glued it in the corner here. I believe it's actually going to hold. And I'll mount this little board to it. And now I'll probably need to bend this transistor back so that the USB dongle can fit in there easily. And now if everything works okay, we should be able to just plug her in here and go. And you know, Tommy, it did work, and I've had that thing on the air now for two or three weeks. Yeah, I heard it on the net the other night. It sounds pretty good. It, I, I've heard a few little bad audio things mm-hmm. on there, but I, I wasn't sure if, if it was the other end or if it's coming from the pie. Uh, the, the audio is not quite as good from the pie. It's a, a little bit choppy, but it, it seems to be working. And uh, I had one time that somebody called me and said the echo link was down and I had to reboot it. And I didn't find out why it did that. But now it's been back up for a few days and it's still holding in there. So it's still kind of a work in progress. I'd like to get those uh, call letters being announced on there and Maybe get the DTMF a, a little more solid, but yeah, that'd be good. You're you're like you're just like right there, man. Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. thanks to all the people who helped out on that and sent me suggestions. Uh, Peter, were you uh, going to say something? Uh, George, a question about that uh, project. Have you got the Pi overclocked at all? Uh, yeah, I think that one's overclocked to 900 megahertz. I tried mm-hmm. several different speeds, but that's that's the one that I settled on. So uh, there you go. The um, Echolink actually running on the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, now you can turn off that old computer that you've had on for the last how long? Six well, years? Six, yeah, probably at least. And uh, as a matter of fact, I did turn it off, but with this cold spell we had, I thought about turning it back on. <laughs> for the heat? <laughs> for the heat, yeah. It has been pretty well, cool. Well, six years, uh, I don't know how many watts it's been uh, using up over that period of time. You might want to go and do a calculation. It's probably cost you a small fortune to run it for that period of time, but the pie will save you a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope the pie will, will hold in there. I'm not dead set that I've got to use it, but, you know, I really want to. Oh, yeah, you kind of got to. Yeah. But it's on there, and it's working, and um, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Maybe you can get the other few little things ironed out. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. Announcing who connects to it is kind of, uh, to me, that's a good one. Yeah, that's that's something that needs to be done. But uh, anyway, let's um, have a message from another sponsor here. ICOM's got some special stuff going on that uh, we want to take a look at. Some great D-Star radios have entered the market in the last year, but let's not forget all the solid analog radios out there. From radios strictly on 2 meters to dual banders with analog capability, ICOM has your complete analog solutions this fall. Check out ICOM's compact military rugged 2 meter IC23H mobile, 65 watts of stable output. Oversized tuning dial is easy to use. It's got 4.5 watts of loud audio and 270 memory channels and multiple scan options. Consider the ICV8000 for your next mobile adventure on 2 meters, 75 watts of output power, a rugged die-cast aluminum chassis, and fast memory scanning with dynamic memory scan. ICOM's IC7000 is an all-mode HF, VHF, UHF mobile. It's a compact radio with a colorful high-res display, dedicated interface keys, and great tuning knob, built-in DSP noise reduction and filtering, and it's popular for D-Expedition 
weekends and field days as well. Looking for rugged, easy-to-use handhelds with plenty of memory channels, loud audio, and long-lasting battery life? The ICV80 and the V80HD is a 2-meter handheld with 5.5 watts of high power. A built-in BTL amplifier helps deliver 750 milliwatts of loud audio and is great for noisy environments. There's 207 memory channels, and the HD version includes radio, lithium-ion battery pack, and a rapid charger for up to 19 hours of operation. The ICT-70A HD is a dual-band transceiver for classic operation on 2 meters and 70 centimeters. Like the V80HD, this version includes the radio, lithium-ion battery pack, and the rapid charger for up to 19 hours of operation. It's easy to program with a simple keypad, large backlit alphanumeric display, and it has 700 milliwatts of loud and clear audio, 302 memory channels, and fast scanning features. Why not take a look today? Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM's analog ham radio selection. And now through March the 31st of 2014, you can save big on that new rig you've been wanting uh, with ICOM's New Year Instant Savings. Go to icomamerica.com amateur and click on the New Year Instant Savings button, and you'll see all the great deals they got there. And there's, there's quite a few, cool. man. There's, there's some good bargains on oh, there. Yeah. Well, Tommy, what's next on your email stack over oh, there? Oh, I've got one more. I got one from our friend, KA3DOW, Chris. He says, enjoy the show. I've written to George a few times, but now it's your turn. I was shocked to hear that you bought one of those 16-line LCD displays at Radio Shack for something like 60 bucks. I thought I heard you say. I bought a few of those LCD shields with push buttons on eBay for around 8 bucks, and more recently bought a standalone 20 by 4 line display for under 7 bucks. It runs in 4-bit mode. That's a pretty good price. Hmm. The only drawback I have besides waiting is that they're from China, and the advanced character set may be worthless, but you can always use the CG memory for any of those special or missing characters. Look forward to seeing what you guys will be doing next. Yeah, that's a pretty good price for those. And uh, I actually gave it like 35 bucks for mine from Radio Shack, which, which is kind of pricey, but I, I was kind of impatient and I wanted to get it right away. So. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's it's good to have that source, uh, yeah, that usually, option. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes saving a few bucks, you know, isn't worth it for ordering, so getting something from local or, you know, yeah. some of the local vendors. Especially when it's just gnawing a hole and you finish that yeah. project. <laughs> yeah, and, no kidding. And you really, <laughs> really want to get on it. But, uh, yeah, I, I do it, too. I'm guilty of that as well. Well, I've got one final email here, and this comes from Greg, AJ4FJ. He said he's finally getting around to watching the December episode, and he wanted to respond to the viewer question regarding those uh, filters that were used in the TS-2000. He said you can order the parts you need from uh, Kenwood Parts, and he, uh, he gave us some part numbers here. Uh, CF1 and CF4 are L72-0984-05, and CF2 is L72-0985-05. And he said he just replaced the corresponding uh, filters in his TMV71A, and everything seems to be working now. And he says at least they're cheap. They are uh, 4 to $5 each. And that's a good price. You know, I ordered those from Great Britain because I, I just wanted to use a different brand in there and, and hope that they wouldn't have the same brand. Right. Yeah, that's good. It's a good resource, though. Yeah, it is. It is. And you, you can get them quick that way. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Anything else uh, 
Tommy, that we need to talk about before we go? No, just uh, just remember to check us out on all the social media hubs. All the social media hubs. I think I have a button right here that maybe has some of those social media hubs in it. There's one right there. It's hey, the Echo Link. There's the Echo Link. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, and that's coming in. Uh, do drop in. Star, do drop in. Star, node number 355-800. And when's it going to be? Hold on, and I'll tell you. It's right there. It's right. Th- it sure is. <laughs> it's going to be January the twentieth. You know, there's social media places you can catch us as well, and uh, we've got the Facebook. That's facebook.com/groups/amateurlogic.tv. Yeah. And then you can read the Google Plus one there. Yeah, Google Plus. <laughs> yeah, plus.google.com and all the rest of this stuff you see right over here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, follow. Is it at Amateur Logic? At Amateur Logic on Twitter. On Twitter. The uh, Amateur Logic Wiki. Yeah, that's a great place to get show notes. So you'll find links to all the things that we've talked about on each show and as well as other tips and uh, links to the source code Peter had specifically for this one. Yeah. So, and thanks, Dan, for doing that. N9LVS keeps it up for us. Most definitely. And uh, this time you want to go check because there's some links and some downloads and such in there that you can get for some of these projects we talked about today. And it'll save you all that looking at the screen and trying to type it in. Well, what are you going to do next month, Tommy? Any idea yet, or are you just going to leave them hanging? Um, I do have an idea, Mm -hmm. but if I can get the time to go do it, it's actually something that was requested a few months ago, but I kind of hate to say because I'm not sure I'll be able to pull it off. Well, if you sit down long enough, it'll probably go away. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, what about you? Any ideas? Nothing specific at this stage. I might do something in the software area, uh, just a software toolkit for either video editing or just a general software toolkit of free applications that uh, I use that people could get some use out of. Okay, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to be talking about. We'll just have to yeah. see. I've got a project also that I've got about three quarters done. Uh, okay. That I'm really cool. wanting to do soon. Yeah. And I've got a project here I'm working on that, uh, uh, well, we won't talk about it until it's a little closer to being ready, but uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up this so year. So that's like three things we can't talk about. Well, it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, uh Hey, but that's the way it is, you know. <laughs> if you never hear of these three things again, then they didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that's it. We've enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing everyone again next month. And come to the Capital City Ham Fest if you're in the Jackson, Mississippi area. When is that? I don't remember the date. It's in a couple of weeks from now. I don't have the date with I, me either. I don't have it either. But, but we will be there. We will be there. We have a table there, and we'll be wandering around. You'll see us with the cameras. Mm-hmm. So be sure and say hi. Yeah, we'll be the guys running around looking for the really good deals on on good stuff. You got your shopping list ready? I don't have my shopping list ready. I know what's on yours. Yeah, a couple things. PL259s? PL, <laughs> you know what? I actually need some more of those. Really? Re- yeah. And... uh so Anderson power poles. I'm still looking for some audio transformers. I've yet to find those. Yeah. So they're, they're always on the list. Yeah. All right. Well, 7-3, everyone. Join us again next month on the 15th, and we'll do it all over again. Yep, 73. 73.
There's a little ball in here that'll agitate. There's a little ball in here that'll agitate like a pan of paint. <laughs> Let them know that uh, you support the show and that you support gigabytes. Gigaparts, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says 8 p.m., but it's usually 8.30. It is 8.30, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so pay no attention to the man behind the curtain up there. <laughs> When you're doing the corn shoot. Yeah, exactly. Did you say corn or coin? Coin. I think I said corn. <laughs> you did. <laughs> now, uh, by the way, being an ex-pirate sea bear, I just have to say that um, uh, to all the truckies out there, uh, uh, where are we here? Uh, just uh, watch out for snakes in the grass. Could be a bear in a disco tin taking pictures with his camera. Before you know it, the <laughs> county mountie will take you off to the bear cave where you'll get bit by the bear and have to feed the bear. Uh, also, if a pregnant roller skate um, gets in the way while you're driving your 18-wheeler, just run over it. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, pregnant roller skate. Okay, that yeah. must be a, what, a, a Volkswagen. And I didn't even yeah, know the pirates had CBs. I didn't know that either, you know. <laughs> I thought they used flags or, or something. 